Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Hada! Your Grace! I know that you want to listen to Binge Mode, but Binge Mode has adult content and... Good. You should head to bed. I'm not tired! And now, Binge Mode. Lord Walter! Lord Walter, enough! Let it end! Please, he is my son. My first son. Let him go and I swear we will forget this. I swear it by the old gods and you. We will take no vengeance. You already swore me one oath right here in my castle. You swore by all the gods your son would marry my daughter. Take me for a hostage. But let Rob go. Rob, get up. Get up and walk out. Please. Please. And why would I let him do that? Hey guys, welcome to Binge Mode. <laughs> I'm Mallory Rubin. Tough, tough episode. Deputy Editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished chowing down on some pig's feet, which he swears best are the best part of the part animal, of the animal. <laughs> it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hey. Jason. I'm, right now, just like the hound did. I'm kind of waving that little pig knuckle around. Oh, you know fuck. how he does that little wave with it before he flings it over his It brings shoulder. a smile to my face, and I need a smile because it's red wedding time, buddy. We're Very here tough. at last. This is— uh, Tough read, tough watch, whoa. tough rewatch. A lot of tears, a lot of heartache. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones, as you guys know. We're deep diving one at a time, and we knew. We knew that this was going to be— an emotional moment for us and for you because season three, episode nine, The Reigns of Castamere is, mm. it's not even really an episode of TV. It's not just a part of a book. It is an experience. It really is. It's a loss. It's something that we as readers and then we as viewers suffered and felt and think about, I think Jason and I were both kind of shocked by how strong our emotional responses were rewatching this, despite having watched and read yeah. this many, many, many times. Really hard to rewatch. Really painful. Really hard. Really painful. When you hear the rains kick up, just leave. <laughs> <laughs> There's never a good reason to hear the song. Few notes. The song is playing. Yeah. Leave. Leave. If the people wearing, if the people sitting next to you at dinner are wearing armor. Leave. Leave. Yeah. If you're not allowed to bring your direwolf inside, leave. If your direwolf keeps barking and nipping at people and doesn't want to go any further, just leave. Just leave. That's for the book people, but you know, just leave. All right. Let's get to it because there's a lot to break down here. Just in case any of you listening don't actually know what we're talking about right now, uh, we'll issue a spoiler warning and say we will be going deep on details from this episode and from everything in the canon. So uh, 
Watch out for shivs and crossbows. Hang on tight. It's time to break down yeah. Season 3, Episode 9, The Reigns of Castamere. Jason, the wine will flow red, the music will play loud, and we will put this mess behind us. But before we do, let's remind everyone what this mess actually is. Take a very quick trip down our own King's Road. Guys, this is the one where Rob dies. (laughs) Along with many other people. It might not feel like it, but some other stuff did actually happen in this episode as well. We spent a little time in Yunkai with Danny, where she and her lieutenants, now including Dario, OG Dario, are planning an assault on the city. And Dario has a plan. He has a back gate, a small way in, and he lays out this plan for Barristan and Jorah and Grey Worm and Danny. And eventually, Dario, Jorah, and Grey Worm slip in. They duke it out with the Yunkish defenders and return drenched in blood to announce to Danny that the city is hers. Beyond the wall, Sam and Gilly approach the portion of the wall that's guarded by the abandoned night fort. The plan is to use a secret tunnel, which Sam knows about because he reads a lot, which goes under the wall and leads up into the castle cistern. Up north, Bran and John are both hanging in the gift with their respective bands. Bran... Rickon, Osha, Hooter. They're up in a little tower. Mira, Jojen with them. They're sheltering from the storm. And Hoder, very upset by the thunder. Make him be quiet. Why? Because right. the wildlings are below. Jojen, pushing Bran. Silence him. You can do it. What does Bran do? He wargs into Hoder, guys. This is huge. This is the moment where we realize the extent of Bran's powers, even though he doesn't really understand those powers himself. He also then later wargs into the wolves down below. Helps out John, who happens to be down in the same parcel of land after the wildlings pursued a horse breeder that John gave a little sword slap on a stone to help escape death. Tender moment later on when Bran and Rickon split up say their farewells. Bran's got to go beyond the wall. Got to find the raven. Not safe for Rickon. Turns out neither (laughs) is the place that Bran is sending him, but we'll get there later. In the Riverlands, uh, the hound waylays a traveler on the road. Arya stops him from killing the guy. Um, And Arya and the hound ride up to the twins. And she reveals that she knows about the mountain and Sandor's past and how the hound got those burns on his face. Wedding time, guys. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Oh, that's good. And at the twins, Rob Stark and his army arrive at the twins. And we all know what happens next. Uh, we'll be going to that in detail in a little bit. For now, let's get some bells. Let's get a copious amount of bells. Let's get a lot of bells because a lot of people die in this episode. R.I.P. King Rob Stark. Young Wolf. Queen Talisa. Little Ned. Lady Cat Stark. Grey Wind, riding oh. proud and true. And you know what? Shouts to uh, Big John Umber and Mage Mormont and the Manderleys in my heart. All right, guys, we are going to flex into a slightly different order here than usual because obviously when Jason takes you to the Citadel, you learn a lot. You learn a lot from your maester. And before we go deep into what transpired at the Twins and talk more about the savagery of the Red Wedding, we have to really fully understand the way that the phrase and the Boltons 
but really the phrase yeah. it's their home willingly yeah willfully transgressed and violated custom yeah the norms what is expected so jason all men should keep their word right kings most of all but hosts too hosts too and when rob and his compatriots arrive at the twins the camera really lingers yeah. on them receiving guest rights, right? We see Rob, we see Kat, Talisa, Edmure, et cetera, partake. We see them reach for the platter of bread and salt. Pick it up. Right. Eat it. The show goes out of its way to show us this ritual carried out. We see Walder Frey himself consume a little bite of this sacred offering, cementing his participation in this ritual. We hear Frey say, my honored guests, be welcome yep. within my walls and at my table. I extend to you my hospitality and protection in the light of the seven. And then, of course, we very quickly see how little it all actually <laughs> right. means because Frey violates this pact. He butchers his guests under his protection. In the season three finale, next episode, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get there, we will hear Bran tell the tale of the rat cook. Mm. The purpose of this is to inform the audience about the the horrors that that legend says, you know, await those who violate the gods in this fashion, right? But but that's an episode away. We can't wait that long. So let's assemble the conclave, head to the Citadel, teach us about guest rights and how important they are. Guest rights is one of the crucial taboos cultural traditions of Westeros along with kinslaying. Basically in Westeros, when a guest enters a host's home, whether that home be a castle, a tower, a keep, a little shack, it is customary for the host to safeguard the guest's safety and for the guest in return to swear to not attack his host, his or her host. That's the guest right. And it's an ancient, ancient tradition it's, you know, very simple. Hosts may not harm a guest under his or her roof. Guests may not harm their hosts. Simple. This is a custom that is particularly held dear in the North. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about why in a little bit. The tradition is embodied by the partaking of food. That's what essentially invokes the right. You're not officially a guest until you take food and drink from a host table that has been offered to you. So... The way it might work and the way it worked in this episode is you arrive in a, in a host's hall. Out comes a servant with a platter of bread and salt. You take a nibble, take a little sip of wine. We're good. Guest right has been invoked. It, the host will say something as Walter did. Welcome to my house, blah, 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 blah. Um, but it doesn't need to be bread and salt. Bread and salt is just kind of the shorthand. It can be any type of food that you take in. Um, in the books, Cat is especially nervous about mm -hmm. guests, right? Understanding kind of like the dangerous nature of Walder Frey. It, um, she's constantly saying to Rob in the books, like, hey, you know, mention the bread and salt as soon as we get there. Right. Like you get just take of the bread and salt, make sure that that happens. And, you know, then he can't touch you. Right. And then, in fact, when they arrive in the hall in the books, it seems for a second like Walder's not going to extend the bread and salt right at that moment. So she's like, uh, Lord right. Walder, uh, do, do you have any food? We, you know, we're parched from the, from the road, you know, right. we, we need something. Right. It's very important to her that 
that he extends it. And it kind of gives you a sense of, you know, what, what a taboo this is. Like, it's almost unthinkable mm-hmm. that, that Walder would, would go against this. Right. It's the only thing that gives her peace of mind. Yes. And that's because it's such, it isn't just a symbol. That's it right. is the ultimate reassurance. And part of this is just practical, right? Like, right. think about the way that people in Westeros behave yeah. and interact. Everyone's always trying to kill everyone right. else. You're always worried about your, is how can you make your enemy your friend? Is right. your friend about to become your enemy? Nobody would ever talk or interact or go right. to another person's home without this reassurance, That's this right. promise. It's basically an imperative to enable anything to ever get done. That's right. Uh, Much in the same way that kinslaying, we talked about this previously, is a cultural norm designed to maintain stability, to make sure that the laws of heredity um, remain in force in a way that just doesn't uh, incentivize wanton murder of your family members. (laughs) Guest right is similarly a, a cultural break on violence. Um, It allows things to get done. And in the North, because of the North's uh, particular history and relationship with the seasons, it's very, very important. I mean, think about what goes on in the North. They spend all summer, all fall, every season preparing for winter. And then in winter, they spend uh, just surviving. They lay by crops to feed animals, salting meat, filling storerooms, and so on and so on and so on. And then once winter hits, no matter the precautions that have been taken, People die because winter is just so intense in the North. I talked about previously about how older, weaker family members will say, I'm going to go out hunting during as winter stretches and, you know, for months and months and years. And that's kind of a, a, everyone knows that they're not really going hunting. They're just going out to die somewhere. So you think about this, this really harsh environment and you can understand why it would be particularly important to be merciful to guests who are wandering out in this kind of, um, Mm -hmm. this atmosphere, this intense cold environment. Why welcoming someone into your home would be seen as such a righteous thing to do, such a good, and why saying, hey, you know, you want some warmth? Come in here. And then slaughtering that person, maybe cannibalizing, which is a thing that happens in the North when, when the winters get very, very harsh, taking their wealth, taking their food. And the reverse of that, a guest entering a host's home, killing that person. Why that would be seen as just particularly heinous mm. in the North. And, you know, so in the North, the violation of guest right is a crime on par with treason. It's You can be executed for this thing. Um, and you can think about guest rights, particularly in the North, as a codification of this cultural disgust at people who would take advantage of other people who need who need help, who need shelter, and of those who would prey on the mercy of of people who would give that shelter. Um, you know, Northerners understand desperation better than any other region, and so they they hold this right to be sacred. Thus, the Red Wedding is really not just an act of absolute cruelty and murder, but really something that Northerners, particularly Northerners, will never, ever, ever forgive. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to Binge Mode. It's interesting to think about the religious aspects mm-hmm. of this. It's framed as, right, protection under the under the gods. Right. And 
it's not really a religious transgression. It's a social right. transgression. You're violating a social contract. There's no need to codify it into a law because it's so ingrained into the culture of Westeros that this is something you don't do. And this is why this is kind of Tywin's masterstroke in that he made sure it was the Frey's fault. Exactly. He he orchestrated this. Brilliant. But he didn't he doesn't want this on him. Which Tyrion will say to him yeah. next episode. Okay. Yeah. That is very helpful context for uh, fully appreciating what a vile, wet shit Walder <laughs> Frey really is. Yeah. So now that we have that context, let's dive in. Jason, the gods love to reward a fool, but uh, man, you know, nothing really feels like a reward in this episode. It is amazing TV. It is an incomparable reading experience. I will truly never forget no. what it felt like to turn those pages for the first time. But it is also a series of daggers to the gut Ugh. for Talisa and us. For alike. everyone, yeah. It is merciless. It is unforgiving. And that that is the really only way to frame this. So let's pardon the imagery this time, guys, but let's cut to the core of it. Let's stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is ruthlessness. It's not just deception. It's not just betrayal. It is savagery right. carried out Absent hesitation or sympathy, it is agonizing to watch. Let's just, let's hold on to each other. Yeah, right. It's going to be hard to get through this without tears. We'll do our best. Well, war is ruthless. And I guess um, to Tywin's point, which he'll make in in episode 10, how ruthless are you willing to be? Right. Um, and Rob is showing himself as he's uh, planning for the next phase of his war to be uh, pretty ruthless himself. His his plan, once he gets reinforcements in the phrase, is to attack the Lannister seat of Castle Rock. And Kat kind of revels in this. She, enjoys, loves she, it. she loves this plan. She says, show them how it feels to lose what they love. This has become a really a punitive war. Mm -hmm. um, that's what the goal is. There's no, when you think about what, so what does Rob want? Is he trying to conquer land? Is he trying to conquer territory? Does he want, no, he wants to punish the Lannisters. He wants to hurt them. One of the truest things that's ever been said or uttered by anybody in this show is when Tyrion knocks over his goblet in Tywin's tent in season yeah. one and says, there's your peace, right? Joffrey saw, saw to that when he took off Ned's head. No one is going to ever be able to move beyond that because it didn't need to happen. And right. that's one of the themes here is wars are fought for gain. There's a right. purpose. There is a mission. People will die, right? right. You're not going to have a war without casualty, without loss of innocence, without savagery or brutality. But there's a certain viciousness playing out here, not only at the Red Wedding, but in the events that led up to it, that basically makes something like this Inevitable. Yeah. All roads are leading toward not just the threat of destruction, but it's what Cersei is saying to Marjorie yeah. the episode prior, right? Like, ambitious climbers, we're not just going to knock you down a peg. We are erasing you from memory. You will only be a warning in a song. That's the goal here for all of these people. And Rob and Kat in a weird way, to their credit, yeah. are finally kind of catching on. Maybe if they'd gotten to this point sooner, this wouldn't have happened to them. Well, you become what you fight eventually. Right. Right? It's like uh, 
you know, Joffrey is a mad dog who doesn't care for tradition or laws. He just wants to subjugate people to his will and humiliate people. Tywin is cold and ruthless and calculating, but this is almost a Joffrey move in a sense because they're, they're all responding to who is the most savage person in this equation? Who's the who's willing to do the worst? You have to respond to that in some way. And Cat and Rob are trying to respond to that. Let's take their home. Let's just destroy their lands. Let's, you know, this is what it's about. It's just about pain. Um, and so when they arrive at the, that's their, it's important to understand that that's their whole point of going through this with this wedding. Right. Is to get men to go kill other people. So it's a weird, you know, that's not a, that's not a great uh, reason to get married. And things get weird <laughs> immediately as soon as they get there. Rob, as part of his agreement with Walder, is supposed to give a formal, very formal apology. Right. In front of the assembled Frey house and his, and his own uh, vassal lords, just so everybody, get it on the record. Mm-hmm. I, was the, I was wrong. Right. And Walder really draws it out. He is loving it. He and- loves it. Why? Here's a, qu- yeah. a serious question for you. If he, he knows what's about to happen. Right. Why do this? Because in this moment of allowing Rob to make a formal apology, he then loses, you could argue, some of the ground and some of the justification that he could have made, right? Yeah. Don't allow him to make the apology. Don't accept it. Now, obviously, he's got to draw them in fully to the trap. Right. But it's almost like he's so vindictive and so perverse that the voyeuristic pleasure yeah. he gets from openly fucking with them and basically talking about to Lisa's tits and the tight fit right. in front of a room full of people is worth it for him to lose a little bit of the potential, potential, small justification and edge he might have had. Nothing is going to give him a justification for violating guest rights and savaging people at a wedding in his own home. But he could have at least made an argument that, hey, I don't need to be loyal to this guy right. anymore. He fucked me. He broke his oath. You allow him to make the apology and then you accept it. You lose that line of reasoning. Why do this? Just for the thrill? Just for the thrill. I mean, the way he trots out the wives, the, oh pr- the potential wives, yeah. Walda, Waldina, Freya, Waldinio, Mario, Wario. <laughs> Um, just shows you that he wants to, he wants to enjoy it. It's like he wants to get robbed to the point of bearing, like he got robbed to step forward, put his hand on his sword. And that's what he was going for. Let's fuck with these guys as much as we can. And then he takes, all of a sudden he just takes the pressure off. Let's get the music loud, guys. Turn it up. It's going to be a party in here. Oh yes. And by the way, plenty of room in here for your immediate family. Right. You're armed men. You're going to have to stay in the yard. Okay. I want to talk about this for a minute. I want to talk about this for a minute because I'd say that when we, when we listen back to season one of binge mode, we will, the the mathematicians will say that 95% of it was us saying that Ned was stupid. Right. And 5% of it was Robert imitations and cum jokes, Ah, which is the right ratio. Just want to be clear. But- We have spent a lot of time criticizing Ned's thought process, Ned's awareness, Ned's ability to anticipate a move that somebody else was making and how he was knowingly 
or foolishly putting himself in position to be eliminated. And Rob is, we often say, a better ruler, a better leader, came by it more naturally, was the firstborn son. The eldest son was groomed to lead, whereas Ned was not. And maybe that's a justification for why he was never really quite right at that. What the fuck is Rob doing here? When when you're in this room and Walder Frey says, we'll set up tents outside with food and ale for the rest of your men, a.k.a. we're going to kick out all the support so that they're not around to help you. And, oh, by the way, my uh, charming, like, fatherly pep talk before the wedding is, the wine will flow red. I know. Like, (laughs) what? That's just straight-out blood imagery. He's violent and weird, and no one— no one's spidey sense is kicking yeah. in except for cats. Here's the other thing. You have a dire wolf. Yeah. You have a famed beast of war. Always listen to your wolf, guys. throughout the lands for tearing men apart. He yeah. is a more effective weapon than probably anything in this fucking world except for dragons and a Valerian steel sword. Where is he? He's in a pen outside. Yeah. Why? Because Rob is an idiot. That's the, <laughs> that is not a charitable assessment, but that's the only way to put it. And in the books, Kat, to her credit, yeah. does him not cl- right. want Rob gotta to give in. Got to keep him close. Right. Keep the dog, keep him close. You got to keep him close. And, the, and she's constantly worrying on this throughout the ceremony, like even as before anything happens. Like, God, I wish, I wish Grey Wind was close. I would, um, I think, in a sense, because the show does a good job of setting up the haste Rob is in, mm-hmm. right? But I think in a sense, what you're talking about is a victim of Rob's aging up. Mm-hmm. Because this is very much like what would happen if you were an 18-year-old boy who is a very talented first-round draft pick. Rookie season, had a couple good games, three, four good games in a row. Now, all of a sudden, the opponents adjust to you. Can you adjust back? And he's in such a rush to, I oh mean, I gotta, I gotta punish the Lannisters. I've got to take Castle Rock. I'm losing this war. Men are leaving. I gotta do something now, now, now. In the books, it's even, and I understand why they didn't, why they changed it so much for for the screen because there's a lot of moments in the book where, you know, Grey Winds nips at a fray mm-hmm. all of a sudden when they approach right. when they when they first greet them outside, and then when they're crossing this kind of the causeway to the to the Castle Keep, Greywind just doesn't want to go any further and starts howling and just, you can't, like, and Rob's like, come on, Greywind, what? Let's, right. uh, you know, and then outside in the pen, he's howling, 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 scratching at the door. It's like, if you put that, you put that on the show, it's like, wait, Rob, what? What are you right. doing, man? <laughs> but that's the thing. Yeah. It's so maddening because, like, uh, okay, John. Yeah. Who is beautiful, but occasionally a little dense. Right. He is, he has the instinct in season one when Ghost is scratching at the door and whimpering to say, he knows something I don't, right? right? Like, where is Rob's awareness in the book there? Yeah. Obviously, it doesn't play out quite that way on the show. But to say, he knows something's up, I should listen. And also just the mere fact of these people who are kind of my, like, frenemies, yeah. things aren't really smooth, they're asking me to put him away. That's weird. I'm their king. I should do what I want. Very strange. Once, uh, I think one of the great kind of like breaking moments, because it builds to a savagery, but there's these little moments when you're like, oh, this is going to be okay. And mm-hmm. one of them is when 
Walder has trotted out Waldina, <laughs> Walagrio, Walvania, and then we get to Rosalind. And whoa, Rosalind's all right. Edmure is like, hey, you, you, you bring me, uh, no, my lady. Well, hold on a second here. This is, hey, how are you? Again, <laughs> here all of a sudden is like, oh, I want to get married. Did I yeah. say I didn't want to get married? There's, like, there is that incredible moment. You are a delight to me, my lady. <laughs> <laughs> there is that incredible moment when, uh, when Frey gives Rob kind of like the the raised eyebrow, like, see, right. I have hot family members too. Right. And in the moment, it feels like really welcome comic relief and like yeah. a lightning in the mood in a tense time, but. Are you watching it? It's yeah. actually, it's very damning. Yeah. It's very damning because he is, again, just completely fucking with him, playing with his food. Right. He knows what's about to happen. And also there's there's an unmistakable, in that look, he is saying, if you had just had a little faith right. and trusted me, right. this would have been, been, been yours fine. and everything would have been right. fine. It would have been fine. Uh, and then, oh, the reception. 20 minutes of agony here. First, there's the betting. You know, like after the, there's a ceremony and we've talked about what, the, what a betting ceremony. Betting ceremony is this kind of raucous ceremony where the men take the bride, the, the women take the groom, they tear off their clothes, maybe a little, uh, you know, groping, but nothing too much. A lot of dirty talk and they carry them up to the uh, nuptial chamber. You know, Walter Frey says, shall we bed them? It's time. And, you know, Rob is like, I think it's time to bed right. them. Let's do it. Got to clear out the room. Yeah. For the murder. And then the song. Guys, listen. The song is about genocide. Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> like when you hear that song, right. when you hear it, just leave. Don't, uh, it, you know, cat, it takes cat a second to be like, hmm, they're closing the door. She's, she's the only one. Yeah, who has but, the spidey sense kicking in at all. Well, because Rob and Talisa are like, How's, uh, oh, is the baby kicking? This is <laughs> well, uh, formula or breast milk? Yeah, uh, you look wonderful. I can't wait. You know, it's, uh, give birth on the road as we're taking Castle Rock. What, what, what will we name the child? And meanwhile, it's like, mum, um, And it's very similar in the books to where, in the books, um, it's almost... George writes this in a different style, I think, than he's written almost any other chapter. It's like a hallucination almost. It's very normal, very matter of fact. Everything seems. Right. And then a few things happen that seem out of the ordinary. There's kind of a squabble that seems, the anger of it seems out of proportion with the festivities. And then the song kicks up and then Cat feels the chainmail. Then it all becomes clear. We understand what's going to happen. What was it like? What did you feel like the first time you read that chapter? It was late at night. Yeah. And I've only, <laughs> I've made this mistake twice where I was like, I'll just a little, little light I do that bedtime all the time. reading. I do that every night as, as a matter right. of fact. A little light bedtime reading. Yeah. And uh, literally could not sleep for the entire night or the next couple nights because I was so it's not even like it's not even right to say like despondent or upset. Right. It's just pure shock. It it's a, a, a shock that is hard to explain. You know, resolution in time, right, but right. like in that moment right. was like truly one of the worst feelings of my life. A kind of betrayal and despair and confusion that like 
honestly, only the best works of art can possibly get you to feel. Like, it's an achievement, right? Yeah. If you don't, if you're not doing something amazing and masterful and beautiful and important, people don't react that way. They don't care. One of the things that's kind of fascinating to think about, and I think this this really, when you, when you as a book reader have a conversation with someone who only watches the show, one of the things that shocks them the most after they finish, they're like, I'm really, I don't want to hear any more about right. book differences, right. please. But after they finish that speech, one of the things that shocks them the most is that Rob is not a point of view character right, in the books, yeah. right? So it is different. The show builds up Rob in a way that the book actually really doesn't, yeah. right? He is, you make the mistake as a show watcher a second time after you've done it with Ned of saying, okay, this is his story now. Right. This is Rob's story. He's the quote unquote hero, the right. closest thing that a story that is this epic and sprawling and has this many, uh, this many protagonists can right. really have. But in the book, it isn't quite like that. You're yeah. seeing this play out through his mother's eyes. It's also Arya's point of view chapter that you're you're reading this event through as well. You're alternating between those points of view. The Arya stuff is in some ways even more upsetting. You yeah. think she might have died yeah. because when the hound, you know, knocks, knocks her, her out to rescue her, basically, to pull her out of harm's way, that's a, the end of her chapter is that it basically like it goes black and you're like, yeah. oh, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't handle this as well. There's also an, you know, the 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 counterpoint to the fact that you're not maybe quite as invested in Rob emotionally as a book reader as you mm -hmm. are as a show reader is that you're more invested in Kat, I think. Right. And the level of her agony yeah. and her despair as a mother watching her firstborn son being murdered before her eyes. But remember, she thinks Bran and Rickon are right, already dead. Dead. Already right, dead. so this is her and her. She she doesn't know anything about Arya, and she right. knows that Sansa is essentially lost. Right. To her. her husband has had his head chopped off. Exactly. So Rob, their is home her, is in ruins. Her father, her father yeah. has died. Yeah, Edmure's just been married off. Right, and they're not really close. Right, this Rob is everything to her. Yeah, he okay. is her last tether to life, and she is literally ripping her own face Ugh. open in her agony. Yeah. She's claw taking her fingers and clawing her face open in her despair and her anguish. And it is absolutely horrifying to read. Watching it, the thing that is most amazing to me about the show is that knowing this is going to happen, I still thought my heart was going to yeah. shatter my ribcage and shoot out of my chest. Like they do such an amazing job of building tension. There's also that Incredible satisfaction when you when you're seeing this for the first time of sitting next to someone who has no idea That's, what's going to happen. It's incredible, beautiful feeling. It really is. I mean, it's. I think it's something that book readers were just waiting on. You felt like you oh were waiting God. on it for as oh soon as it was announced that this was going to be a show. You're just like, man, when they if they get to the red wedding, oof. and it is brutal in a way that I, it's really a landmark moment in television because you're primed by. Three, four hundred years of Western right. storytelling tradition that stuff like this doesn't happen right. in a fantasy story. Right. Um, so when it does, when the you know, the righteous king, handsome with the beard and his wife, who he's buck tradition because he fell in love with her, um, when they are slaughtered like this, it is truly, truly shocking. And I, you know, thinking back to I I, I imagine that show watchers must have been like, well, I don't, I don't know what happens next. Mm -hmm. That's the, and that's the feeling when I read the chapter in the book, I was like, I had to read it twice because as I said, he writes it in this kind of like hallucinatory prose where 
moment flows into moment and actions, you know, seemingly random, violent um, scenes just kind of arise out of nowhere. And you're not sure what did I, did I read that? Right. And it's, and I imagine that show watchers must've been felt the same way. It's like, Oh my God, it's like, this might've been the hero. Well, this was the hero, wasn't it? And right. now he's, he's like, you know, what happens now? John has no army. He's what, five, six, seven years away from like affecting the realm in a kind of meaningful way. It just seems like, wow, this is the end. The, the war is over. You're used to the hero winning the war and he loses it and never even gets to fight the battle. Such a good point. And I always think of George's initial, no one will ever be able to adapt this story right. stance, like mm -hmm. that this must have been one of the moments right. he was thinking about because this is where Danny, the Danny problem, yes. is... It's exponential on the show right. because as, as a reader of the books, you have just opted in. You're thousands of pages deep at this point, and you're just like, I'm all in on this. Right. I'm here for the next 45 years with you, George, or however right. long it's going to fucking take you. I'm willing to wait to see what happens with Danny when she gets back, when she heads west, right? I'm willing to wait to—also, to, to also, you just flat out—one of the things I, I feel like I can say with sincere and utter confidence is that you just like John more as a book reader right. than you do as a show watcher yeah, at this point. And you're more you're you're like really intrigued by what's happening with Arya. You're all in on Tyrion. There are enough, and and you, you care about these people on the show, of course, right. but they're not in positions of power right. yet. It's just a different pace and a different expectation. Danny is so far away, and this is a moment in the show where she is moving further away. Right. She's deciding. She's making a conscious choice to say, "I'm going to focus on this now." And there's this moment as a, a, a show watcher where you're just like, "Wait a minute, yeah." So How do we she's resolve not this? coming because yeah. we... she's she's like kind of right. next up, right? You don't. You can't root for the Lannisters, right. at least not yet. And this is the other kind of incredible thing. We were talking with our producer, Zach, before we started recording about the choice that the show made to take an event that is already iconic and fabled for its savagery right. and choose to increase yeah. the ruthlessness. What are we talking about? To Lisa. Right. In the books, we've we've mentioned this before on, on past episodes, Rob Rob's bride, it's a little bit different. He's right. married to Jane Westerling, not to Lisa. Right. She is not there. Rob's wife is not at the Red Wedding. She is not killed. I have always thought, and be very curious to hear your theory on this, that the specific reason the show brought to Lisa into the room, twofold. One, had to go all in. Had oh, to make yeah. it hurt even more than it already did. And two, couldn't leave the the questions right. about there whether there's an heir. Right. Because that was a thing for book readers for a right. very long time. Could Jane be pregnant? Right. If she's pregnant, will what will the pacing of this story be that right. would allow Rob's heir to rise to power? Right. right. It's the same kind of shit that it's like, well, Rickon is three in the books right. now, but hmm, if we <laughs> plot this out just right, you know, he'll be the king in the north. Now, obviously that's not gonna happen. But why did they do this? Is it just to hurt us or is it is it for a plot-specific reason? Yeah, it's a plot-specific reason. It's just, it's cleaner. In the books, Jane Westerling is of a noble house from the Westerlands, so they're a vassal house to the Lannisters. It's kind of betrayal in itself. Um, they fall in love. They maybe have a child. No one's really sure. Jane is kind of forced to drink uh, the moon tea, which is kind of the support of tea. But it's a worry among the Lannisters and the various powers that be, like, not only that Rob might have had an heir, 
but that people might think that he has it. It's not right. just that he would really have one. It's, it's an idea the, to rally the, around. You know, the idea that Rob might have an heir out there, this right. rumor, is dangerous in and of itself. So I think, yeah, the show just wants to make it cleaner. Let's kill everybody, everyone. And not only that, not even a rumor of a pregnancy, a real one. Right. Let's just eliminate it, make elim- it clear, and then right. take it off the board. Yeah. Got to just take a moment here to mourn Grey Wind. Oh. Because this is agonizing. We are animal lovers. The direwolves are my favorite characters. And this one really hurts. It's also particularly painful to watch because Arya and the Hound have yeah. arrived at this point. They're at the twins. They're posing as pig farmers. It's very, very funny. Yeah. The Arya and the Hound stuff in this episode is quite amusing, even though it's also extremely dark right. when panning back to the to the beginning of the episode for a second when Arya is gazing out into the distance at the twins yeah. and the hound basically calls her out on it and it's like they're not going anywhere they're not moving like you've never you haven't right. been this close to your family since Joffrey snipped your daddy's right. neck and you're afraid he's completely right of course but she cannot uh, for for both the simple fact that she is not like an emotionally open and vulnerable character and because he's on her kill list and she wants him dead, she's not going to be like, wow, you really see me. Let's, right. let's talk this through. She's like, one day I'm going to put a sword through your eye. And he, he reacts to that with, he takes her seriously. Oh, yeah. This is a guy who has killed people, who has had people try to kill him. He looks at her and sees she's serious. The way that Rob and Kat's actual deaths play out. Yeah. Let's let's get into some of the gory details here because this is brutal. It's brutal. It is. It's made all the more brutal because Kat still, after she's watched the butchery that has gone on in her presence, she still clings to this, okay, uh, let him go. Uh-huh. That hope that only a mother could have that, okay, you, you can do whatever you want to me, let him go. Right. Or I'll kill this you know, your innocent family member here. Right. I'll do, just let him go. Let him go. And we will forget about this. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And one of the things that's so amazingly, agonizingly awful about that moment is that his phrase response to Kat's final plea, right? Yeah. So Kat, everyone, all of their men are dead. Yeah. Kat has... You know, she has had this moment with Bolton. So we know, even though Bolton hasn't yet stabbed Rob, that will come shortly. We know that Bolton is one of the bad guys here, too, because Kat reaching over and revealing that he's wearing armor, that is one of the inciting incidents that leads to all of this actually sort of finally happening. And Frey is, again, just completely toying with him. He's like, I didn't get you a wedding gift, buddy. (laughs) Here's a knife to your unborn child. and then crossbows into Rob, into Kat, into everyone. Their men are dead. And when Kat makes this final plea for Rob's life after Rob has crawled over to Talisa's corpse and his hands are slipping on the bloody belly, it is really violent and gross. He says, he being Frey, you already swore me one oath in this castle. That's what it's all about. This is what everything is about. He has no room left, right, Right. for open-mindedness or compromise or compassion. There's no room left for anything but butchery and savagery and ruthlessness. And the part that's so shitty is that that's because of Rob. Yeah, he did this. Yes. He, it's, you know, we're obviously, we're never going to be sympathetic or siding with Walter Frey, but he's right. He's right. He basically gets to say to them, sorry, this one's on you. And that 
is so fucking brutal. And then, of course, Kat is screaming, yeah. Rob, get up, get up and walk, walk out. Walk out of here. Rob's, you know, holding Talisa. And, and, and Frey says, why, why would I let him do that? Right? And then Kat makes her final threat that he's going to cut Frey's wife's throat. Rob rises. And his final word is mother. He just looks at her. Yeah. The blood is, yeah. you know, he's drained. He's like pale as a ghost. On the, on the brink of death anyway right. at this point. Mother. It's so agonizing because in that moment, he's not, he's not, you know, the king is, he's not dead yet, but he's already fallen. He's yeah. just a boy again. He's just a, a, a child who needs his mother. And it's over and he knows it. It's just horrifying. And then Bolton, that traitorous fuck. The Lannisters send their regards. Stabs Rob right in the heart. Yeah. Right in the fucking heart. That scream is just amazing. Oh my God. Rob falls and dies. Cat lets out this. A whale. Death rattle. The only other sound in the episode that's on par with that is actually Grey Wind's whimper Ugh. earlier in the episode. Yeah. And then Kat's a woman of her word, if nothing else. She slits Frey's wife's throat, and then Blackwalder comes up behind Kat and slits her throat as well. No music over the end credit. Just the sound of our tears. There are two book things that I have to quickly ask sure. you about. We won't go deep here because we're short on time and these are big ones. Yeah. But one, Lady Stoneheart. Yeah. Two, Rob's will. To the extent that we <coughs> feel comfortable discussing these and, and sure. spoiler warnings, spoiler warnings, spoiler warnings. These are things that happen in the book and do not happen in the show. What do you make of the show's choice to not go down these roads? I think the Rob's will one is interesting and it's one that a lot of Book readers who watch the show, they make the mistake that I often make, which is you conflate the two stories, and they're like, well, what about Rob's will? It's not in the show. They, right. they didn't put it in. We should These say what the, we should say what Rob's the will, will is. So in Rob's will, uh, just as he was going to the twins, he writes a will essentially um, making Jon Snow an official Stark so that Jon could inherit Winterfell, would be the lord of Winterfell in the case of Rob's death. Um, and he sends that by boat to the north. We assume that it's somewhere, maybe Howland Reed has it. We're not sure what it is, who has it. I think that was just, they're just trying to keep the show simple. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's not a lot of room for kind of rumor and innuendo. It would be, that would have been a, an interesting wrinkle. I, I do think that that one is one that I, I would have put in there. The Lady Stoneheart one, and I will say again, that Lady Stoneheart is Catelyn Stark. Spoiler, spoiler warning. Spoiler Big warning. time spoiler so warning. So after, yeah, don't listen to this if you're Because I think that this possibly could still happen. Yeah. Um, so Kat's body gets thrown in the river. Several days later, the Brothers Without Banners find her body. They whisper the Lord's Prayer, Thoris of Mir does. Um, and she rises. And she is not the Cat Stark that we remember. The, all the warmth has been taken out of her. She is just a creature of revenge. She wants to kill Frey's kill Lannisters, kill Boltons, that's it. Hang them. That's it. Hang them till they're dead. And um, <laughs> I think that that was just a case of not wanting to tip their hand for what comes later. They already gave you, right. you know, they already gave you Beric. Right. That's a lot. Um, I think if you if you do two members of the Stark family, now all of a sudden you're like, oh, John's going to come back. So here's my, right, here's my 30-second explanation for sure. both of these. It's all... It's all confirmation that this is actually John's story yeah. to me because for for exactly what you just said, if we know because of Lady Stoneheart that the resurrection isn't just – it's not just Beric. It's not just this weird thing right. that's happening once. It's really possible that we when, – when John is stabbed 
in the fifth book. There's just not a moment for book readers at that point where you assume anything other than he will rise again. Right. Right. And so there has to be more of a mystery around it on the right. show. His moment of rebirth has to feel special and kingly and godly. Yeah. And really the same thing for the will. If the option of being a Stark is presented sooner, right. it's just— Takes on, the punch Right. Out. On the one hand, there's more legitimacy around right. it because it's what Rob wanted and would have supported. On the other hand, the— there are only like three or four moments that are as powerful as John's King in the North chant right. at the end of season six. And if someone else is giving that to him right. instead of him earning it for himself, right. it just isn't as fulfilling ultimately for his show character right. or for viewers. And so. also and also the fact that he turned it down. Stannis offered it to him. Right. To his face. Exactly. And he turned it down. Exactly. So that makes it just so much more powerful. Okay. Um that was a lot. Yeah. This is this is a lot, guys. It's just a lot. It really holds up. It is I, – I think we just can't say that enough. It really holds up no matter how many times you watch it. It is an incredible hour of television. It is devastating. We want to just say that we really – we mourn for our producer, Zach Mack, who <laughs> – Carried a, a torch for right. Rob and Talisa alike. That is Rob is my guy. He's hurting. He's hurting, and we wanna we wanna just express our condolences for Sorry him. Sorry about that. Um, we also want to very quickly, very quickly talk about a few of the other things that happened in this episode because while people when people think back on this, they think of it obviously as the Red Wedding episode and the episode where Rob and Cat die, but. That's the final scene. You know, yeah. it, it's a long scene, but that's the final scene. A lot of other stuff does happen. So let's head to the seven. Sure. Let's share a few of our other insights and observations from this very jam-packed episode. Number one. Jorah, suspicious of Dario's backgate plan, as he should be. Mm -hmm. He thinks it's a trap. It's a perfect way to get rid of um, the people who are protecting Danny, who Dario obviously has some amorous designs on. Uh, and Dario's rebuke is really ruthless. You have a suspicious mind. In my experience, only dishonest people think this way. It's weirdly, Dario has been very honest. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, another good Dario-Jorah exchange. I have no interest in slaves, Dario says. A man cannot make love to property. So many deep cuts here, right? This is a... Now, Dario obviously doesn't necessarily know all of the details right. here, but this is, for the for the viewer at least, like, this is a nod to Jorah's past as a slaver. This is a nod to Dario's yeah. very natural, easy grace with women and Jorah's sincere struggles trying to get Danny to think of him this way. Also, you know, guys... Jorah's going to make his way into some brothels later on. So this is a little bit of foreshadowing, too, about how Jorah really thinks about sex compared to Dario. Number uh, three. Getting put in the friend zone has perhaps made Jorah even more uh, savage towards Sir Barristan. Sir Barristan, you know, the guy's been on the sidelines a long, long, long time, guarding kings who suck. Uh, he wants to get into the action. So he wants to go um, in the sneak attack. And, you know, Jorah's like, no. He says, throws back that um, that speech that Sir Barrison gave to him from a few uh, episodes back about how best to serve the queen. He says, you're the queen's guard, Sir Barrison. Your place is by the queen. If we're truly her loyal servants, you know, you've you've served the queen, whatever that means, no matter what it is that mm -hmm. we want. Throwing those words right back brutal. in his face, man. Uh, number four. 
lot of interesting stuff happening with Bran as well. And I have to say, I was one of the things I was most surprised by rewatching this was how emotional I got watching this set of farewells. Yeah. You know, Osha saying goodbye to, to Bran yeah. and telling the twins, you know, how much she loves him and cherishes him and to protect him. And Bran and Rickon, when they say goodbye to each other, you know, we've watched season six, guys. Like, we know what happens to Rickon and Shaggy Dog. And so when Bran says, you and Osha and Shaggy Dog— Head to the last hearth. The umbers are our bannermen. Whoops. They'll protect you. No. Hard to watch this, knowing what's going to happen. When John kills Orel, Orel, as wargs are wont to do, instinctively throws his mind into his eagle to attack John's face. And we we should expect that Orel's mind continues to this day to live on in some kind of fragmentary state in the eagle's mind. All right, speaking of wargs, yeah. number six, big episode big, for Bran, big, 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 big. big episode for our understanding of Bran's powers, of the nature of warging, of, of what can happen here. Like, we we have learned to this point that warging and green seeing, that these things are special, right? That Bran's three-eyed raven dreams are, are, are make him different, right. set him apart. But when Bran wills himself into Hodor's mind, when right. he takes control of a human being— and quiets Hodor from his his, his thunderstorm right. angst. The look on everyone's face Shock. when this happens, they are stunned and they are simultaneously awed and, and a little bit disturbed because this is just not a thing that happens, right? And they discuss this later after the imminent threat from the wildlings has passed, right? Bran says, you were right. I can get into Summer's mind whenever I want. And Jojen says, of course you can. North of the Wall, there are wildlings who can control all sorts of animals, but you can do a lot more than that. You got inside Hodor's mind. And Bran, simple, pure, innocent Bran, he says, they can't do that, North of the Wall? And Jojen says, no one can do that. Yeah, Osha has a anywhere. great— There's a great one second of Osha's response to that where she— she kind of looks down very quickly and shakes her head as if to say, no, they can't do that. And I am very disturbed about what I have just seen. Right. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of power. All right. Bring us home. Uh, Edmure during the betting ceremony. Oh, Edmure. This is the peak for him. Uh, you know, as they're, they're, he's being bodily carried towards the, the nuptial chamber. And he says, careful, ladies. Once you set that monster free, there's no caging him again. <laughs> Oh, too bad his monster and the rest of them wound up very, very caged. Very all. caged. Quite literally caged yeah. in a prison cell. Oh, Edmure. Tough. All right. Well, the Blackfish is out there. You know, he had to take a well-timed leak. Swim, Blackfish, swim. And you know who else is out there? Who's that? Tywin fucking Lannister. Oh. He is not in this episode. At all. But, guys, he is still the winner of our champion's purse. Tywin Lannister, he pulled all the strings. Not only did he end the War of the Five Kings definitively, he did it in a way that his fingerprints are not on it at all. His fingerprints are not on one of the most vicious and brutal crimes that the realm has ever seen. He orchestrated it, but it can't be traced back to him. Titles, titles, titles. Yeah. Letters, letters, letters. You know that damn word. All those fucking letters he was writing all season long, guys. Here it this is. This is what it was. Right here. Don't well, let guy. this guy write. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys may now bring us under your protection. 
cloak us in your love. Give us support. We need to we feel need safe. We need it right <laughs> this now. This was tough. This was an emotionally exhausting journey. Uh, normally we say that we hope you had as much fun as we did. That would seem a little off tonally. Um, but we hope that you maybe got to enjoy as much catharsis as we did. Yeah. It, it's, it helps to talk this out, guys. It helps to share our feelings. So thank you for, for sharing your feelings with us and for allowing ours uh, us to share ours with you. We certainly hope that you will be with us next time when we will be discussing the season three finale. Misha. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, remember, if you're going to betray us, at least do it for a tight fit. Tits in a tight fit. Hey, guys. Guess you don't know me, but I'm uh, Fraser Tully. I'm uh, one of the Tully cousins. Known this big guy here for a long, long time. Tell you, we used to go fishing up and down the trident. Great time. Edmure, you're my boy. So happy for you. And uh, what's what's her name? Is anybody? Ah, don't worry about it. Uh, you two, you couldn't look happier. I am so happy for you. What a great night. Uh, King Rob, thanks for coming and, you know, letting me come here and just be here with my dude. <laughs>